And good morning. So good to see you all this morning and to be able to worship with you. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. If, uh, if, if we haven't had a chance to meet before, um, I'd love an opportunity to do that at some point. Um, after the service, feel free to come down to the front. I'll be right here and um, would just love to say hello to you, to get to know you a little bit. And we're so thankful um, that you're worshiping with us. Uh, if you are a guest with us, uh, we are making our way through uh, the book of Acts. And um, so we will find ourselves in Acts this morning, picking up in really the middle of a story that we started in Acts chapter 3, um, as we looked at uh, and we see um, the church begin to do the work. Uh, obviously, the Holy Spirit has moved with great power, and so there is now um, 3,000 souls who have been saved, and the church is beginning to move. And um, as we talked about looking at uh, Acts 3 last week, they didn't just stay kind of huddled up in worship, but they began to go about doing their regular routine, their daily lives, which one of those things was to go in worship. And uh, into prayer in the afternoon prayer. And so they were making their way, Peter and John and other disciples making their way up to the temple. And as they did that, uh, they come upon this man who had been laid at the temple gate from birth. He had been brought there to receive uh, provision essentially to be provided for financially or to receive food, just his needs to be met. And he expected that to happen. Uh, of course, in this setting, what happened was that he met Peter and John, and Peter and John said, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have, I give to you. I give you Jesus. And this man was saved. He was redeemed. He was raised to walk, and not just his physical healing, uh, much more significant and more powerful than that was the reality of his uh, spiritual healing, that he was raised to walk in, in a spiritual sense, raised to life. And because of that, um, he is now worshiping with Peter and John. And so they made their way into the temple. He runs in and he's leaping and praising God with them. And as they continue to do that, or he does that, this large crowd begins to gather. And because this crowd, or as this crowd is gathering, now we're getting even more attention from those who are in charge, the authorities, the religious leaders of the day, um, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those religious leaders of the day, as well as the temple guards who were there essentially to ensure that there was peace, kind of that they kept the peace, they ensured that things didn't get too out of hand and too chaotic. And so that's where we pick up as we come to the beginning of Acts chapter 4. Um, they are worshiping, they have left now worship, and this crowd, this throng of people is surrounding them, and they're telling them, this is the work of God. Because as they gathered around them, they looked and they thought to themselves, oh, this is Peter. No, 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 Peter says, it's not about me. This is the work of Christ. And so if you are able, would you stand as I read from Acts chapter 4? Beginning in verse 1, out of reverence for God's holy word. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they were arrested them, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And they had them set in the midst. They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders... 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, we thank you for your saving work in our lives today. We thank you that by your death, burial, and resurrection, we can have assurance of our eternal salvation. And yes, we can live today as adopted sons and daughters, citizens of your kingdom. We worship you this morning because that is true. And I pray by the power of your spirit that anyone in this room who is unsure, who doubts, who perhaps has been chasing after the wind, looking for hope and salvation and other things, may today be the day of salvation as they hear your name and they see your work and they see the evidence of your power at work through this story, but also through those of us who believe here this morning. Would you move in a powerful way? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. So as I said, the people are gathered. There's this massive throng of people surrounding them, this great crowd who is now coming upon them and saying, what's happening? They are pointing to Jesus. They say, no, Peter says, it's not about me. This is what Jesus has done. And as that happens, because this crowd comes, they are arrested and they're arrested because they've created a skirmish. And the temple guards and the religious leaders of the day, just as they did with Jesus, had the authority to arrest, had the authority to sort of step in and keep the peace. That was a charge that they had been given was to keep the peace. And so they have, a, have them arrested. It's in the evening time or close to evening. And because of that, they can't do any sort of court proceedings. Again, following very similarly to the life and kind of the steps, the process of, of Jesus's life and the end of his life as he was put on trial. And so they throw him in jail and they say, we'll deal with them in the morning. And then these rulers come together that next morning and they bring them before them to investigate what has happened and how did this take place? Well, as we see going back to verse one and the challenge or what is caused them to grow in their frustration, they say that the Sadducees came upon them and the Sadducees were greatly, and I love this, just the frankness of God's word, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, one of the things to note there is the Sadducees, theologically, they were a group of religious leaders who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. That was a theological kind of just uh, thing that they disregarded. They said, there is not, it is not possible for the dead to be raised. And so because of that, people proclaiming to do work in Jesus' name through the power of his resurrection, that was a lie. That couldn't be the case. And so they were pushing back against that. And they were annoyed that they kept hearing about this Jesus. They were also annoyed, more than likely, it's very clear, because they had thought perhaps when they had arrested and put Jesus to death, they thought that they had put an end to this movement. And in fact, what had actually happened was when they put Jesus to death, three days later, he took us up his life again. He went to, see, to the right hand of the Father and then sent his Holy Spirit to work through his people. It was merely the beginning. They were just beginning to see this great work. And so there were 3,000 before, and at the end of there in verse 4, it says there's now 5,000 men. 
If it records for us, Luke records again 5,000 men. One of the things we know about church, if there's 5,000 men there, there was 10,000 women. And so it is a massive amount of people that are there. This church, the New Testament church, is blowing up and exploding as the name of Jesus is proclaimed. And they were annoyed because they were proclaiming Jesus, which if we apply that to our own lives, we look at the way that we live our lives and the things that we proclaim, this is the central message. This is what we have to stay focused on. We also proclaim Jesus. We proclaim Jesus and we proclaim that Jesus died and rose again. We proclaim in the same way that Peter and John did, we proclaim the resurrection. This is the message that we must proclaim. It's been talked about, I've had recent discussions, in fact, about what is the message that we should be proclaiming as a church? How are we supposed to communicate to the world? What are the things that we should be involved in? And I don't have to tell you anything. This is not news to you. There is a million things that we could get ourselves involved in. There are so many things that could divide us and can pull us and distract us and take us. And we should talk about this and talk about this and talk about this. And I'll just be honest with you. I personally wrestle with that. There's times when I'm not sure exactly what to say. But here this uh, text teaches us that the message we proclaim, the primary message is the thing that we lead with, follow up with, and talk about more and more again is Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We celebrated Easter about a month ago, and I've said since then, almost every Sunday I've said this, we are resurrection people. We are always Easter people. Why? Because everything that we say and do is impacted and is rooted in and is sort of finds its life in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Friends, if you doubt this morning that Jesus rose from the dead, let me just tell you, you're going to hear, and by the power of the Spirit, you're here this morning to hear over and over and over again that death will not have a hold on those of us who have put our faith in Jesus because he rose from the dead. That's the victory of Easter, yes, for Jesus, but it is also for us. We're gonna see that in this text even more clearly in just a few lines, a few moments. This is the message. If you think about marketing, I, I, I'm not a marketing expert necessarily. Some of you went to school for marketing. Some of you uh, serve in your jobs and your vocations. You, you, you're in a, a role that sort of says, hey, you help people communicate messages out there. The message of the Christian church, and here, one, of the, one of the things that you do know, I have talked to you enough about this, is that you have to stay on brand. We want to stay focused. We want to make sure that we're clear about what we say. And so we say the same thing over and over again. We repeat ourselves over and over again. We stay in the same lane. And companies that get distracted and start kind of going all over the place, they don't really, their, their, their brand doesn't usually get out there. If I say Nike, you know, just do it. That's right. You know, and so you, it just goes with the territory. The message of the Christian church that we say over and over and over again and what Peter and John teach us and what we must live with staying on brand is that Jesus is alive. The name of Jesus. And we proclaim that resurrection power and we proclaim his name over all else. Paul said when he went to the, or wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, which was dealing with all sorts of problems, all sorts of challenges within the church and in a city that was very uh, just messed up. There's not really a better word. Just like our world is messed up today, Corinth was in the same way. And he said in the very beginning of his letter, chapter two, verse one, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come and I didn't lean on my ability to communicate. 
It wasn't my wisdom. It wasn't the words that I used. It wasn't anything about me or even really specifically the message of how it was communicated. You know what I chose to do? I chose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I knew nothing but Jesus. This is the message. We proclaim Jesus. There is one message and there is one name, as we'll see in a few moments, that changes lives. Again, such a powerful message. The name of Jesus is all that Peter and John have been proclaiming. All they have been doing is saying, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can have eternal life. You can become a citizen of the kingdom of God. All the longings of your heart, not here in this earth, but for eternity, are found in Jesus. And that annoyed those religious leaders. They thought they had put Jesus to death. They thought they had ended him. The message was consistent. It's Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. By the way, as they proclaimed Jesus, Peter and John, no doubt, probably were not caught off guard by the fact that they were arrested. We don't really get to see their emotions as they are arrested. I know me, if someone came to arrest me, I'm going to be a little frustrated. There's going to be some angst in my heart. I'm not going to really be very peaceful about this. But I think it's not recorded for us in terms of what they thought, but perhaps they were remembering Jesus' words, which are informative to us as we think about how we continually proclaim this message. Found in Luke 21, Jesus warned his disciples he said this, settle it therefore in your minds. He's saying to them, while well, he's alive with them, by the way, and he's talking to them, he's saying, settle it right now. You don't need to meditate beforehand on how you're going to give an answer for me. I don't want you spending your whole time sitting there thinking, okay, Lord, I need to be prepared. I need to know what to say. Why? For I, Jesus saying to his disciples, I will give you a mouth and wisdom. I will give you a mouth and wisdom. Do you remember Moses' argument against God, against being used by God? My mouth, I don't know if it'll work. He says, you don't worry about that. I'm the one who has the message. And Jesus tells his disciples thousands of years later, don't meditate right now. Don't try to figure out how you're going to be able to answer all the persecution and the attacks that are going to come. And yes, they will. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will even put to death. You'll be hated by all Christians. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, for bearing the name of Christ. But here's the promise of the gospel. An amazing paradox. But not a hair on your head will perish. You'll be put to death. And yet, not a hair on your head will perish. Because Jesus gives us a life that is not found here in this temporary body. Yes, this body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. We are alive and we cannot be killed if we are alive in Christ. Because he was raised from the dead. We too have been raised from the dead to life in Christ. And no matter what happens to us, no matter what attacks come our way, whatever challenges we may face, we will perish. And yet, not a hair on our head will perish. Well, our bodies will, but not a hair on our head. It's just an amazing paradox as we look at this promise of Jesus. And so, as Peter and John are arrested perhaps fearing that they might follow in the footsteps of Jesus just a few weeks after he had been put on the cross, perhaps this is the time that they themselves will be there as well. 
they think back, I imagine, I can just imagine them hearing Jesus' words, this promise to them, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say. It will be my mouth and my wisdom spoken through you. The Sadducees tell them, arrest them, and are ultimately going to try to convince them to not speak about Jesus. But Peter and John, they can do nothing but proclaim Jesus. And why is it that they can only proclaim Jesus? Why is he the central message and he's the only message? Well, Peter gives them a very clear answer about this. They ask, how did you do this? In verse 8, Peter says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning this good deed, a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, By the name of Jesus, again, look at the emphasis on his name and on Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. Earlier in chapter 3, if you weren't with us last week, go back and read, and Peter says something very similar. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. You crucified him, but God had a plan to use his name. And this is why we proclaim his name. And his name is the one that matters because, as he continues, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by, whom we, by which we must be saved. No other name. We proclaim Jesus because there is no other name for us to proclaim. Jesus is the only one that we can proclaim. And as Peter uses this, he refers back to an Old Testament text that, again, these religious leaders of the day would have been familiar with. He quotes there Psalm 118 when he talks about the stone that was rejected by men has now become the cornerstone. Psalm 118 is one of our Old Testament messianic texts that point to us and tell us about Jesus. Even though it doesn't use his name specifically there, it sort of illuminates that. Jesus referred to himself in this in Matthew 21. He says, the stone that the builders rejected, me, has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And isn't it marvelous in our eyes? There's no other name that we can proclaim. Peter and John standing in that court, they had been called and they found themselves now as defendants, it would seem. But isn't it amazing that they, in that place of being a defendant on trial, they go on the offensive and they proclaim the gospel to those people. Even those that had arrested them, they say to them, you rejected him, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead and he is now the cornerstone. He is not just the stone that you rejected. He is the foundation of all life. He is the central source of life. They proclaim again Jesus because there is no other name by which we can be saved. This crippled man was healed in the name of Jesus. There'd be no salvation for anyone who rejects Jesus. We cannot be saved by other things. So often we find ourselves, I think, in this life looking for salvation, looking for hope. Peter told the crippled man in chapter 3, I don't have silver and gold to offer you. All I can give you is Jesus, and he can save you. I said, as referring to that text, and I say again this morning, I have nothing to offer you but the name of Jesus. And in his name, you can be saved. There's no other name. Every other person referred to as a God on this planet, apart from Jesus Christ, is dead. Buddha is dead. 
All the popes are dead. Muhammad is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. There is no other name upon which you can be saved other than the name of Jesus because he's the only one who is alive. Therefore, he's the only one who can offer you salvation, which is eternal life. Sometimes it's not necessarily a false God or some other person that we've tried to put our hope in or look for salvation from. Sometimes it's the things of this world. In the same way, I would say you will not find salvation in these other things. You will not find it in money. You will not find it in fame. You will not find it in power. You won't find it in your relationships with your spouse or otherwise. You won't find it in your kids. You won't find it in your performance and your achievements. You won't find it in your job. You won't find salvation in any of these things. And many of us, including myself, can tell you that because we have chased after those lesser things. We were running away from God, pursuing things that we thought and we hoped, maybe this would give me life. Maybe I would find salvation here. I've got to believe that there are many of you, even today perhaps, a few of you still chasing after the wind, as the scriptures would describe it. You will not find salvation there, friends. If you hear nothing else, Let me invite invite you, stop running after these lesser things. They will not satisfy you, and they will not lead you to life. They'll lead you away. You can be saved, and you can be saved through the power and the work of Jesus and in his name alone. If you doubt this morning, it's okay. I wish you would believe today. But I hope you'll remember these words. In a year from now, two years from now, perhaps 20 years from now, as you've been chasing and chasing and chasing and looking for salvation in these lesser things, perhaps by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll remember these words. There is no other name upon which you can be saved. Believe in the name of Jesus. Peter and John declare this name of Jesus, even to these great theological minds, these people who were the leaders of the day. And they tell them, you must believe in Jesus. And yes, Jesus was raised from the dead. Now they respond, I'm gonna pick up where I stopped reading in the story in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And this is one of my favorite verses in scripture. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Yes, Peter and John were these uneducated yet powerful men. So often we get infatuated with power. We get infatuated with being able to um, communicate and do all the things that we kind of makes us feel perhaps better about ourselves, our pride welling up in us. I love that these who listened to Peter and John, they said, These are uneducated men, and yet they speak with boldness because they had been with Jesus. By the way, they said the same thing about Jesus in John chapter 7. The Jews marveled, therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man, learning Jesus, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? They're looking at God. They're looking to him. How is it that he knows all this? How can he be so wise when he has never studied? And now of his disciples, Peter and John, that had spent time with them, they were saying the same thing. These are uneducated men. There's no reason that they have the ability to communicate the way they do, except for the fact they must have been with that same teacher that we didn't understand before. They must have been with Jesus. They couldn't deny that they had spent much time with Jesus. 
I'm a big fan of theological education. Um, I pursued degrees for one reason, simply to be able to shepherd and care for this body that has been entrusted to me by God as well and as, as effectively as I can. But let me just tell you very clearly, that work would be worthless if it replaced or got in the way of me spending time with Jesus. There's no value in any piece of paper hanging on a wall that would lead us away from spending time with Jesus. What's most important is that we spend time and we know Jesus. We can't let anything get in the way of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And sadly, so many of us do this. Many of you, I know, could testify in the same way that I can. Some of the wisest men and women that I've ever been around, just like Peter and John, were not the educated, didn't have all of the acumen or any sort of accolades that the world might have to offer, but they were wise because they knew Jesus. And they had spent time with Jesus. They knew his name. They knew him personally. And when Peter and John, because they knew Jesus, because they had spent time with Jesus, it was clear as an evidence in their life that they had spent time with Jesus. And that's why their message was only Jesus. That's the only message they had to proclaim. They didn't have anything else to offer. And the beautiful thing about this is when we have spent time with Jesus so much that we know him, that our lives are infected with this uh, idea and the the truth and the love of Christ and the power of Christ and the, the, the truth of just who he is, no one can argue with you about that. Friends, no one can argue with you when you tell others about what Jesus has done. They can argue with you about all sorts of things. We can talk about what color the sky is, and right now in our world, every single one of us will argue about what shade of blue it is, all right? We'll get in arguments about anything, but they can't argue with you when you say, this is who Jesus is. This is who I know, the Jesus that I know because I've spent time with him. This is one of the beauties of our baptism Sundays. Next Sunday, we'll celebrate baptism where uh, many will come. Next week, 16, I believe, will come for baptism. And they will share the testimonies of what Jesus has done in their life. Now, they won't talk about, I mean, they may talk about a number of things, but the primary message is, this is who Jesus is. This is what he has done for me. This is the redemption that I have found in Christ. And no one can argue with that message. And that message will actually go out from this place, from this stage. You'll see them on these screens. And there will be people in this room next weekend that will hear the name of Jesus differently than they've ever heard it from my mouth. But the message will be consistent. They'll be elevating Christ. The Sanhedrin, likewise, couldn't argue. And so they put Peter and John out. They say, well, we can't argue with these guys. They clearly have done something. There's these thousands of people that have responded to the preaching of the message for them, proclaiming the name of Jesus. So we'll just get rid of them. We'll kind of put them out. But here's what we'll do. Before we do that, we want to kind of confine them. And so they said to Peter and John, they put them out for a little bit of a deliberation period. And I got to move fast. So I'm going to skip ahead to verses 18. So they call them back in after they kind of deliberated about their situation. And in verse 18, they call them, they, they charge them, it says. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Do you notice the attack there? It's very specific. We don't want you talking about Jesus. You can say anything else. They don't even talk about specifically the resurrection from the dead. They just don't want people to hear that Jesus was raised from the dead. They don't want people to hear the name of Jesus. Have you noticed how distracted, brothers and sisters, even as a Christian community, if we think about the global picture of Christianity, how distracted we have become on our message? We will talk about anything and everything, and we have forgotten to talk about the name of Jesus, the name upon which there is no other salvation offered. And so we are called, and they say, if we can just get them to stop talking about Jesus, then we'll be satisfied. 
And the enemy is saying today, if I could just get them off brand and get them to convince them that they don't need to talk about Jesus anymore and get them talking about everything else, we'll be fine. Go read Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, by the way. A great book for you to just kind of get a picture of what's happening in the world. But praise be to God. We're here because Peter and John said, no, 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 no. Notice their words. Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We have seen Jesus. We have heard Jesus. And I don't know what you have to say about this. And you might decide if we shouldn't listen to God, we can't do that. They say, in my translation, sorry about you. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. I can't do anything else but talk about Jesus. Psalm 34, they says that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The psalmist invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and when we understand what Christ has done in our life, we can't do anything but talk about Jesus. Yes, we're gonna have other conversations and the Lord's gonna give you opportunities in a work conversation, a family conversation, a familial conversation, a lot of different subject matter and topics, but it all comes back to our opportunity to proclaim the work of Christ. To tell the world of Jesus. Peter and John say, I can't do anything but tell the world about Jesus. Let us be a people who when they hear us speak, they say of us, I'm not sure who these people are. I don't know what their education background is. I'm not sure if they've got any training or anything like that. But it is clear that they have spent time with Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we receive from the Lord's table. We're going to spend time. We're going to sit at the feet of Jesus. Before we come and receive these elements, I want us as a church family just to sit at the feet of Jesus for a moment. These elements, bread and juice, represent Christ's work on our behalf, what he has done for us, his broken body, in his shed blood. And so before we come forward, the worship team's gonna begin to sing. And I'm just gonna ask that we just stay seated for a moment, just spend some time in prayer, just let their, the words perhaps even sort of wash over you. Just sit at the feet of Jesus. Ask him to just reveal something in your heart, just to speak to you, to just to have a time of fellowship with Jesus, to encourage you to strengthen you for whatever this day and the days ahead might have for you. Um, and if you don't know Jesus, the Lord's table, it's this second ordinance that we practice here in the church, baptism and the Lord's supper. This table is reserved for those who have put their faith in Jesus. You don't have to be a member of this church. It's open to all who have believed in the name of Jesus for salvation who have believed what Jesus did on the cross and three days later taking up his life again was for them. That's why Jesus said that we do this as an activity of remembrance. And so if that's not you, if you're like, I'm not real sure, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure if I believe in that Jesus. Well, as those of us come to the table, I just wanna invite you to spend time in prayer. God brought you here for a reason. They brought you here to hear the name of Jesus. And so ask him, I need to know you more. I don't understand who you are, Jesus. Ask him to reveal himself to you in a powerful way. Here's what I know. 
As I said earlier, there was a time in my life where I was running far from God. I didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. There was no desire for him in my life. And God would have been right and just to condemn me for eternity and just to leave me to keep chasing after the wind for all eternity, separated from him. But as it says in Ephesians, but God, being rich in mercy, he drew me to himself and he allowed me to open up this book and hear and see him and know that Jesus was alive and to know that he had laid down his life on a cross to atone for my sins. That wrath that I should have deserved, he took it all upon himself on the cross. That's what he did for me. And there's gonna be a lot of people in this room, they're gonna stand and they're gonna come to this table because they are also acknowledging that's what Jesus did for me as well. And so let our collective testimony just tell you, this isn't just some religious experience or an activity, friends. This is us who follow Jesus saying, We worship you, Jesus, because you went to a cross for me so that today I could stand before you, not having it all figured out, but as a son of God, adopted as his son, knowing that this body will die, but not a hair on my head will perish because I have eternal life because Jesus secured that for me. I want you to have that hope. This is the Jesus that we offer you to believe in that. And that's all it is. It's a simple step of faith to say what Jesus did was for me, to acknowledge that before God. And so as the worship team sings, I just want to invite you to stay seated in your chair and just let the Holy Spirit of God do his thing, trusting that he's going to do something here. That's what I'm believing in. I'm trusting in him. Our elders are going to dismiss us, by the way, just so we kind of understand logistics. If you're a guest here, these outer sections, they're going to dismiss you first. You'll come through, receive the elements from our elders. Go back through the center aisle, back to your seats. And center sections, after both left and right, the wings have been served, you guys will come to the table. And that's all we we'll We also do have gluten-free options here. So if you need gluten-free, just sort of give the elder a sign, you know, like, you know, something like that. And just move on to that. You, you just grab your gluten-free out of the bowl in the middle. All right. So let's respond to God. Let's hear from Jesus. Jesus, speak to us now, we pray. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh, you say